Hello and welcome again to the Mike Thrays podcast. And my name is Mike Thrays and I talk all about transformation and really changing your reality through pursuing your dreams, following your heart, believing that you can change. And I want to dig really deep today, go really deep into something that I feel basically all my writing is connected to this and it's so tied in with transformation. And that's the nature of fear. It's interesting when I, I go back through some of my, my books now. I Am Michael and Journey of the Heart talks about my Camino experience. Walking through France, um, then onto Spain and Portugal. On this pilgrimage of really doing something for me which I was letting go of control. And for me... Fear is generally very connected with control and the need to know and connected to something I also talk about in my second book, The Essential Code, a chapter on overcoming fear, where I was connecting with spiritual ideas, the spiritual energies, the ascendant masters, something that came up, which I, I had some difficulty accepting, processing, and even editing as I eventually brought this manuscript to life was the idea that fear is an illusion and that as people like Jamie Foxx, I've just been listening to an audio book by Curtis 50 Cent Jackson, Hustle Harder, Hustle Smarter, that we've both have talked about that, the idea of fear, that do you want to know what is on the other side of fear? Nothing. That fear is really an illusion. But it's something that feels so real to us and maybe particularly what we're going through at the moment with a lot of control measures in place, a lot of uncertainty and hence lack of control that fear is has this relationship to control. And when, when we're actually willing to give up control, listen to our heart and be willing to transform, this fear does dissolve. So as I began walking through France, I arrived in Paris, 2015, and at this point I've had eight or nine years at a, a corporate accounting role where, without disrespecting a lot of my accounting colleagues, but accounting is seen very much as a safe career, a safe path. You do have to work hard, hustle hard, as 50 Cent would say, to get to that space. There's a lot of preparation, research, you have to do a lot of work to get into that, but in picking it, in choosing it, I was choosing the most comfortable path, and from a place of comfort, I was saying to the world and myself that I'm comfortable living in fear, that I'm going to walk a path being in a profession that is there a risk averse, at worst, I might get a bank reconciliation wrong. I might stuff up a financial ledger. But there'll be plenty of other jobs. There's diff- there's room the scope of different things. But I wasn't building high-rise buildings or working on them in a construction facility. I wasn't involved with electrical cabling. I wasn't traveling the world being an entertainer doing high-risk stunts and maneuvers. I'd pick the safest possible job because that was what I felt that would be the most successful path. We're taught to walk the safe path. 
path to be in control. Hence why everything that's seemingly been publicised in a mass media is very much hysterical around control because we don't know. But being in this place for eight or nine years, rather than feeling more in control, more comfortable, the paradox is the, the more you actually align with what you believe is comfortable at that space, where you actually hide from fear, the more this fear seems to pursue you. You actually, in resistant change evolution, you feel more out of control. There's something within you, or at least within me, that's wanting to actually grow, that we, more than actually living in comfort, there's a, there's a natural tendency within us, like nature, to give birth to something, to rise and then die and be reborn again in cycles and season, the nature of change. So by the time I got eight or nine years in, I basically peaked and trough where I'd picked the most comfortable path and all it had done was lead to dissatisfaction, disharmony. And so as I started walking eight or nine years after this job, which is just not providing any fulfillment, I'm in a country where I don't speak the language. I get to the airport where I'm struggling to even use the machine to buy to buy a ticket to get into to Paris. I'm just coming face to face with all the old stories around comfort. And through people that maybe were less averse to facing these things beyond the comfort zone, they wouldn't be an issue. But for someone like me, who I took everything to the nth degree in terms of picking the safe job, the comfortable path, the easy route, to then do the complete opposite, I come face to face with all these illusory fears. So it starts in, in Paris where I'm, I'm semi-panicked already at the machine. But being eight or nine years into a job where I'm, I've almost like everything I once believed is important has collapsed in having a fear around disappointing other people, having disappointment around financial um, challenges, disappointed around marriage, disappointed about being in a profession that wouldn't please or oppress others, having all of them actually collapsed, having faced all of them already and seen that they were mere phantoms, that I had already been, my marriage had broken down, I had incredible financial liabilities that I had to repay, that I had disappointed people, which I put on the pedals to so, so on such a high rank and then found that it was all for naught. I had more of an appetite for risk. And so rather than being faced with this, this story, as soon as I, I get there and I, I could replay the old story, I made a conscious effort, empowered by the space that already faced a lot of it because they, these fears had collapsed in front of me. That the idea that fear rather be a constructive thing, when you preoccupy yourself with fear, particularly when you understand the law of the attraction space, you bring that to you. The fear is more likely to happen to you when you fear it. If you fear your marriage breaking down or that someone you're gonna be in a relationship with someone who will cheat on you or will choose someone else over you, you that you're not a good enough lover or partner. When you fear and believe those things, they're more likely to happen to you as they happen to me over and over again. But then you get to the point where what are you wanting to believe? And so when I'm at the, the airport and on this same story, an egoic, mind-constructed, illusory fear comes up, 
I didn't have to play that story. And so I just, I let go of it. And that became a bit of a thing for my whole pilgrimage. So as I moved into Paris, and and I'm, I'm, big, I'm shortly going to, within a week's time, I was going to be walking a journey that would extend to about 2,000 kilometers. But I only had about three or four days planned, booked. I had no planning around this journey. I started doing things differently. I would, rather than just be averse to approach someone at a restaurant or a cafe, I, the first night I was there, I went up to someone, sat by them next to the table and introduced myself. And it was a, an American traveler, similar age to me, who talked to me immediately about the idea of fear and travel. She was on the tail end of the trip. She'd spent what ended up being a similar amount of time that I was traveling, about 90 days, where she talked about the idea of travel is rather wanting to control and know everything, is being willing to get out of control and let the travel experience happen. And that's the same thing with fear, that fear is still tied to this idea of control. But once you're willing to give up the need to control, like fear, it dissolves, it's not real, and you align with the more magic space. You let the magic into life. You learn to live and trust again. The first day I started walking in Arles, I left the city of Arles, south of France, middle of June 2015. And I've arrived late to the destination. I had to commute there from a beautiful town called St. Bourne, connected with Mary Magdalene in the south of France. I got a what I had to get a train and a bus and numerous commutes. Everything was running late and I was feeling a similar panic to what I felt in Paris. And I knew I had to walk roughly 25 k's that day, my first day of walking. I had no hiking experience. I had done a little bit of training beforehand, but this was something that I was not familiar with. Hence why it's so powerful in terms of transformation, because when you come face to face with these stories that you, you've told to yourself, and you see that whether they emerge they do happen, like a marriage breaking down, where you or whether you, you disappoint your loved ones, your family members, which you so dis, so feared happening. Either when they happen, it it actually provides you with this realization that it didn't really matter to begin with, because everything that you were actually fearing can't take you away from the amazing, wonderful person you are. That it was just a story. And so whether it happens or if it doesn't happen, but you're still preoccupying yourself with that story, it's not real. It's just a story like every type of story we tell ourselves. And so as I arrived in, in got the train to Arles and had to walk 25k that day, there were two routes to walk to that, the, the town I had to get to. And I didn't know. I, the, someone who lived their life as an accountant, as someone who planned everything to be up to degree, who lived by timesheets in the profession, where I had to document every single minute of the day. I'm now at a point where I'm having to be a laissez-faire and say, which way will I walk? And there were two paths to go. There was a, the safe path, in effect, the, the way-marked route, the following the road, but there was the river path. And in actively choosing something that I didn't know again, it provided this impetus to come face to face with this fear. 
And having not left this town to 1 30 that day and about four or five k's in and seeing a sign in front of me, a block in the road saying, danger, do not proceed, do not continue on. Presumably that the route, the, the route was blocked, the road was blocked. I had that same choice that I always had around do I give into it and walk back to the start or even so not reach my destination that day and just stay another night or do I step over the obstacle, the hurdle, believe in what my intuition is telling me rather than reason it out and my issue, intuition was telling me step over that obstacle, whether it just keep going. So I stepped over that one and then I reached another couple of kilometres down. There was another one, reached it again, presuming that there must be flood, floods in the area at that time. But I kept walking, I kept trusting. I was not certain, I was coming face to face with a fear, a story about wanting to know and control. But eventually got to a point where the, they stopped appearing, the obstacles were not there anymore. And whether the, the, the tides of the, the nearby river, which I was walking along, it just dissipated. I reached my destination that day. And that was a metaphor for a lot of the travel that I did in that, which I talk about in that experience, where for people that are accustomed to, whether you're the, the daredevil that climbs up trees or, or, or um, you know, maybe you're a skateboarder that you, you really highly skilled on, you've had a number of tumbles. That wasn't me. I wasn't that person that took all those, I was the complete opposite. Another connection with all this, and even connected with walking the Camino, is that I felt like I wanted to do something that felt inspiring to me, which was do something beyond my comfort zone, and and that led to writing. But even with writing as a form of expression in the world, and to be a voice, to be a creative, and it's not only necessarily in the written word, but if you haven't got a publisher, if you need to, you're actually looking to market yourself, you need to be willing to share that voice to express what you feel particularly if it's information that you feel there's a value for others rather than maybe something that you might do anonymously under a pen name and so I had to start promoting myself talking about what I was interested but I was someone who growing up I hated the sound of my own voice you might be feeling the same that I blocked up voice blocked up nose blocked up you don't like the, the sound of my accent and that happened to me a lot when I walked in in particularly in Spain where I met a lot of Spanish uh, and even Italians and particularly Europeans who didn't understand my accent or the way I spoke and I was somebody who wouldn't answer the phone growing up I, w- I was so embarrassed about the way I spoke the way I sounded and so then to actually have to be willing to speak and share and even do a podcast was completely different or to overcome the story that I that would actually mean that I'm actually expressing myself and I remember the change that that happened with me with the Camino having finished the Camino and starting writing my first I started talking to people and I now had something that I was inspired to share so it wasn't necessarily only the sound of my voice. It was the passion and enthusiasm and the message I had. And people responded to that. Yes, I still had the friends and family that acknowledged me for who I am. As I'm sure you and everyone else listening, you had that network that really believes in you. But when you actually start to believe in yourself, people start to believe in you and listen to you. And then you start to see that it doesn't matter how you sound, how you look. It's about how you feel. 
And if you have something that feels good, and again, it dissolves that fear. That fear doesn't exist anymore because you don't play out the story. Few, few challenges lately, and, and I, I try to cultivate something that moves beyond a, a fear story. But a, a fear which is really, it's a, a belief in limitation that I have at, at any existing time. And normally it's connected with control and planning. One thing I did late last year was, yeah, get a motorbike, buy a motorbike. And the people maybe grew up on a farm, motorbikes probably weren't that big a deal. Maybe they've always been around bikes. Maybe doing something like going to university or studying or being in an office role would be more challenging than being on a motorbike. But for me, I had this deep fear around motorbikes. Yet this fear was also a fascination because growing up, we were very much in my family, there was a, and perhaps if you're listening to this too, there might be some thing. There was a real judgment around motorbikes, and that it's dangerous. It's like like what I talked about with choosing the accounting, the the safe path. To to actually endeavour to hop on a motorcycle is to do the complete opposite. You're getting on something without a seatbelt, without protection. There's no guarantee for your safety. It's so whenever we would see this in our family, there was a lot of judgment around around that. There was a joke in my family. Sometimes I'd say, oh, there goes another temporary Australian. Meaning this is somebody who is bound to have an accident or died a, die from, an, a, from a motorbike accident. So this was a deep subconscious fear for me. And perhaps connected with that was also at the same time getting my work, my books out into the world is fear of being seen is also comparable to fear of being on a motorbike because you're actually putting yourself out in the open to everybody to observe, to judge, to criticise, to say, well, perhaps be affected by these projections. But if you're willing to actually perceive that it's just a story that others may have and it only comes into your reality because you've accepted that it's, that it's possible, then it's only a limitation until you see that it doesn't have to be. It could dissolve. Not long after I finished the first draft of my of Ian Michael and Journey to Heart, my book, I'd quit my job at this point, um, my accounting job. I didn't know really what was going to happen next. And I ended up moving to Ireland, a beautiful little town in Tipperary. And in at this point, I, I had no idea what I was going to be doing. I'd finished the first draft, but I hadn't had any success with the publishers. I, I had some money, but it was, it was not going to last me much longer. But I was following my intuition consistently like I had on the Camino when I walked over, over that obstacle, that barrier, and kept trusting and trusting. And I moved to this town and two of the first people I met at the cafe were a couple of long-haired bikers riding Harley Davidson bikes, one had tattoos on their fingers. And they were the type of people that the old me would never have even met because I would have kept a story, a loop, that, um, that they were dangerous, that I, I couldn't associate with them. That like the stories we see around the biker in movies and. They're a dangerous people to know. But perhaps 
feeling nothing to lose. Looking, got by this point, long hair, long beard, looking like a bit of the, <laughs> of someone that people, a bit of an outcast also. These people approached me and I got chatting and had a real warm conversation with them. And I looked at the bikes and this kind of got this momentum going that over the next few years, I kept seeing motorbikes. I would, I'd, I'd walk through the city, North Upton Southern Cross Station in Melbourne, where you'd see all the motorbikes kind of stacked up. Yeah, I, I remember traveling down to, I lived in Painesville, Gippsland, southeast of Victoria for a while and there were there were motorbike shops there and I didn't have any money I had very little money because I'd quit my job and I had some riding money but no, no money through a motorcycle no money I didn't even have a license I never the only time I'd been on a motorcycle was when I was about 12 or 13 and I'd in someone's backyard and I couldn't stop the bike and crash it into the bushes but there was something calling to me about this motorcycle, and part of it maybe was around this fear, but the possibility with fear is that it provides an opportunity, and it's generally often connected to something that, not only an old story that you could dissolve, but an opportunity to transform by seeing the illusory nature of it. That sometimes what we fear the most is actually something we can share, that maybe sharing how you maybe if you've got if you're sharing if you're scared of sharing how you feel what you what you what you express in the world is maybe because you do have something to express then it's of, of value and it can, and there's a fear around expressing that but the fear actually helps empower you to move beyond it and see that it's just an illusion that's not real and similar for me this the motorbikes kept coming up and up and up and i'd, I'd seen them consistently but being preoccupied trying to get published and be an established writer and yes getting some writing work but not not having any resources to come in I'd still consider see these bikes and it got to a point late last year where I, I just was at the point where <laughs> I, I don't really know what's happening with anything anymore with my books with my living situation with motorbikes with home with relationships I felt I'd followed my intuition to the nth degree. I'd, by this point, I'd had two completed manuscripts ready to publish. I had a third draft of the third book basically ready to go. I felt though, though I'd listened to my intuition. And so rather than actually just keep fighting and fighting like we often do with fears, kind of, you, you, you actually, like that, person you might be afraid of that kind of gives you that uneasy feeling you, you walk away from it. you fight the situation by resisting it I just said I'm done now I'm, I'm not gonna I've gotta I'm not gonna fight so much anymore I'm not gonna keep trying to prove my worth I'm not gonna having to try to convince anyone of anything and that's when situations started to change I remember I did something where at this point, I, I, even my um, journalism writing work and editing work had begun to dry up, and I'd, I had a lot of house sitting work. I'd been moving around to beautiful, abundant homes in Ivanhoe and in the city, and I felt very happy in who I am, even though I had no real material success. But I was didn't want to be a burden on other people anymore. I felt like living part time at my parents' house, or most of the time, my parents' house when I wasn't. At, 
at house sitting stints. I didn't want to be there anymore. I wanted to move beyond the story, the fearful story of, of kind of having to achieve something in order to be out there. And I remember one thing I did was when I was moving out of the, around the house sitting, I came back to my parents and rather than unpacking all my, my suitcase and my gear and all my resources, I said, I'm ready to move out. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm going to live out of the, this suitcase. So I, the next month or so, might have been almost two months, I lived out of the suitcase. Whenever I did the washing, I put it straight back into the suitcase because I was signaling to the universe and I learned with the law of attraction and the frequency of belief that I showed up. I didn't have to play a story. I didn't have to be there anymore. I felt I could do whatever I wanted to do, but it wasn't going to come through force. It was going to come through releasing the story that I had to be there, that I had to please other people, that I had to kind of keep and play small. And with that, the opportunity came to get a scholarship, not only with various resources, but I had a, a government funding resource to open up a small business, to be mentored, to have a business mentor, to get the books out and into the the public and actually have income coming in again and around this same time I, I went to meet a friend of mine and I used to work with in the city and just after we caught up I had to get back on the tram and the train and I just started this business I, I, at this point I just got my book my first book published and it was up on Amazon and I walked past a motorcycle shop in North Melbourne and rather just look from the outside like I had done for the numerous years I had before or since meeting those the bikers in Ireland and perhaps for some time where I'd always had this fascination I felt the intuitive inclination to walk into the shop to kind of walk up to that that line on the pathway that kind of that story around and just walk in I had nothing to lose and I went in there and I I went up and I said, look, I'll be honest, I haven't got it, I haven't got anything to, to buy today, but I'm looking for a cruiser type bike. And just being humble and being willing to kind of face that illusory story, the, the, straight away the guy said, yes, we just had something come in. And at this point, I hadn't even got a motorcycle license. I've never ridden a motorcycle since I was my, what, 11, 12 when I crashed in the backyard. But I having that confidence to trust and, and that these fearful stories are just stories that they, we don't have to keep playing out over and over. I had, had a willingness to be present in the moment and he took me out the back and he, he showed me this bike and I couldn't even, I couldn't even start it because I, I didn't have a license and it, it looked amazing but I hadn't even been on a bike before and I just thought this, this is the bike for me. But I had, again, very little money. I had, I'd only just started getting um, income support for the, the small business, for this, this new business program that I've been accepted in. But I had this trust that, like you or anyone else, if you listen to Law of Attraction, you listen to anything by Esther Hicks, there's even someone I can recommend, Florence Scodale Shin, The Game of Life, if you want to, it's a, an old school book. But these books, these teachings, even if you... If you want to go to the Bible and the Gospel and Jesus and the idea of manifestation that ask and it is given, believe it and you will receive it. I had this this tr trust and faith 
which faith is really at the other end of fear and anxiety. Because when you have faith and trust in something, you're willing to give up that control, that story. And you don't need to know. And so I went home back to my parents that night and I, I didn't have any resource. I, I only had enough perhaps a deposit, but I kept having that inclination to, to go for it. And so I, yeah, I, I contacted the guy the next few days and he got back to me and we negotiated and it was for a great price. And so initially I felt I might be able to get funding and, and loans and they fell through. And I had this deposit and this is, and I tried numerous avenues of, until eventually it got to the point where my parents got on board, the people that I probably, and my partner at the time. And so to, despite not having any, not much more than a deposit, no resources really to rely on, I was able to get something because I, I believed in it. And I, I think that's connected with, with fear because fear is really just a story that we tell ourselves. And there's something also talked about with, with 57 Curtis Jackson that really resonated with me. And, he, and the first chapter is on fearlessness. And he talked about that he lost, he, he, he never met his father. Does still hasn't met his father, who obviously had nothing to do with him from a very young age or before he was born. His mother died when he was eight and she used to sell drugs to kind of support him and then he had to move there with his grandparents and his aunts and uncles and he ended up selling drugs on that same spot where his mum used to sell drugs and then it got to a point where so he lost it he didn't have a mother and father and being up in challenging situations he got himself into a situation where he started pursuing his dream and being a he already drug dealing but he got into music he lost his his contract, he lost his music deal, and he was shot nine times, basically on the point of death. And he was at that point where, and this is what he talks about, this is the other thing, and what I've kind of touched upon earlier with fear. When everything you once feared has actually come to pass, you realise that you don't have to fear anything anymore. When you... Your biggest fears about around being abandoned or, or someone choosing someone else over you, that you disappoint other people, that you're maybe a divorcee, that your marriage, your career, your work, that you'll run out of money. When all them come to pass and you're still standing, that's when you're, you're provided with this opportunity to see the illusory nature of that. But you don't have to wait for all to disappear. You can actively start going beyond those stories now you can actually see how illusory those things are but connected with that this is the gift of fear when they do come to pass and you do perhaps you experience some form of transformation or awakening even the idea of actually fearing dying or fearing losing it if you would have the idea of if, if yeah you did kind of your worst, I mean, the biggest fear that we seem to fear with society more than anything is not only death of loved ones you're close, but our own death. But if you're at the point where everything you connected to that idea of dying, and the only thing that really, that you fear of dying is the identity. If everything related to that crafted identity is already dead, everything you fear, 
you don't have to actually fear losing it. And this is the thing, because you don't fear it, it doesn't come to pass. When I went for my motorcycle license, <laughs> I was riddled with, with this story because I, I had no comfortability on the bike. I'm thinking more about it later. So I, I, by this point, I did have the deposit of the bike. I was working on getting the finance to make the final payment. This is late last year. And so I've got everything, I've, I've gone for this. I've put my deposit on limited resources. I've been engaging other people around me to support me. I've convinced them to support me to, on something that, on an on a activity that I haven't even got any experience on. And I'm going through a license through a bike that my parents and loved ones are going to support me when I haven't got any actual background on the bike. And so the first day on that bike, I was riddled with fear because I was trying to control every outcome. I was trying to control the bike. I was fearful of looking like an idiot. I, I now had convinced other people to believe in me on this bike. And if I'm to fail in this license, what, what does it show about me? What type of identity am I, am I convincing or holding up to them? I've put all, all my stock onto this. And I was, I struggled to get through the first day and I was really struggling. I went home that and I felt devastated because it was a two day course. The next morning you were basically tested. I'd only just got through that first day and I knew it was going to be a real challenge the second day. And the next morning I, I seemed to be a bit better. I, I had some hope again, but I also had a realization that I wasn't a good enough rider to get through this test. Even if I got this test, this is not going to be necessarily the best outcome for me. And so, as everybody started preparing to begin their, their, the ride, or the, the testing part of the cylinder the second day, I hopped on the bike a little 125 that I've been learning during the, the previous two days. And there's a switch on the bike, ironically called the dead switch, which the engine won't start. And for whatever reason, somehow this switch, I must have knocked that switch before I began the test. So as I walked the bike over, and I'm already being assessed at this point, I couldn't even start the bike. And that completely rattled me. I just lost all my focus. Any, any type of hope that I was going to pass, I went out the window. And the instructor, who was really kindly trying to support me, he actually had to kind of nudge me to flick that switch. But as soon as I did that switch, I basically lost my, I think I had, you had three, basically three errors you could commit. I did them in the first three or four segments of the test. And it was over before I even began. And so I remember I, I, I got the, again, I had very limited, I had to go back to my, my parents' place and this is before I moved out. And I had to tell my father that I'd failed my, my test, just like I'd failed in my work or failed in my marriage or failed in my finances. But not holding up this uh, this identity anymore and having it come to pass and, and, and realising that I there was a risk involved and I, I'm not attaching my worth to that. It wasn't as big a story as it had to be. And even before I got home and I, before I left the facility to after that, I was tempted just to get get out and get up on that dream. The instructor, who was also the examiner, said to me, "No, I, b I believe in you. I believe you just got. You know, I really thought you'd pass, which I didn't believe that, but he believed it. 
and he encouraged me to book a reset. And so when I got home and I told my father and I, I just felt really embarrassed, but he was really supportive and he kind of was at the point where he, he understood how I felt. I still had that desire to to want to see it through because I, I'd, I'd risked it all. I'd risked everything like I had for my writing path, for giving up my work, for believing in my dreams. And I saw the fear for what it was and that either when it happened, it wasn't as bad as what it, I, I thought it would be. And so when I went back to the reset and I, I did, I had other challenges around it. When I got through and passed, it was an incredible achievement to me because it wasn't something that, that came easy. But probably the hardest thing, and maybe the last, I don't want this to go on for too long, and I'm really grateful for you for listening to, so, to this point, if you um, for really persisting with this. One of the biggest challenges I had after even getting the license and and then going to this motorbike and then going to pick it up. I went to pick it up with my father in the city. And the bikes we learned on were 125s. And like I mentioned earlier, I had already failed my first time learning on a 125. The bike I'd actually purchased without testing. And I'd only seen it at the back on there and negotiated it. And the, and the, the salary kind of... It, it started for me, but I didn't have a huge look at it, but I, I just knew it was right. When my father and I arrived in there, he actually drove it into the showroom, or rode into the showroom, and it was a big 650, so in terms of the engine size, but five times, six times, yeah, at least five times bigger engine, this huge bike, and I looked at my father standing next to me, and he just had that look of shock. <laughs> and even though I'd been confident that point that I'd be able to get this bike home. I'd never been in, I never, uh, the only thing I'd ridden before that was in the test with a 125 and the quickest I've gone was 60k an hour in suburban roads. And now I've got this 650 big bike that it was deeply scary. And not only is it a bike and something that my, my loved ones are now supported and believed in me and invested in, I had to get this bike home. And no one was going to get this home but me. And so I somehow convinced my father that um, I was going to be okay. And so I went out the back and I hopped on this bike. And rather than just the single clutch like the 125 it had, it now had two clutches. It was a much bigger seat. And it was a lot heavier. And I couldn't start it. I couldn't start the bike. And so the... Pete, the guy who sold it, was there kindly. He didn't want, he didn't want me to feel awkward as I was trying to ride out of the back of the facility. Gave me a bit of space, but two, two three times I couldn't get it going because I was trying to use the wrong clutch. Eventually, he showed me the clutch. He spoke to him, told me how to do it, and I got about 50 meters down the road. And I'm like, this is impossible. It felt like I got me on a boat. I'm like, I'm like, I can't ride this bike. <laughs> and again, I felt incredible shame. I had to take it back in, tell Peter I could collect it. They weren't able to deliver it because it was just before Christmas and the people that would normally deliver the bike to, to where I was living, still living at the moment, at the time, um, they'd gone on leave. 
So no one was going to be able to get the, this bike to me unless I paid professionally again to have it delivered, which I didn't have the resource at the time. And so, yeah, I, I got the, I went back to my father. Um, he, he got a lift back with him, and then, yeah, eventually got the went back to Kilsoft, where I'd, I'd now moved out. And I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know what how I was going to get this bike home. And I talked to a few people about it, and I felt a real everything I'd been scared of, like on the command, all these all these other experiences where. I'd been fearful of losing something. And this was the biggest fear of actually fear of dying. <clears throat> fear of actually getting hurt on the road. And I, I was at the point where, well, I, I feel if, the, if I, and this is something that might be a bit challenging to listen to, then maybe this might provoke something within you. I felt if I looked in the mirror, at that moment before I collected that bike if I was to if something was to happen to me I felt I'd live a lot of my life in fear where I'd been so scared of doing anything but in recent years I've done the complete opposite and I've pursued all my dreams I had done everything I wanted to do that I could do and that if something was to happen to me even though I'd wouldn't want to let my, the loved ones down. I was prepared to not live in fear anymore. And I was prepared to face death. I was prepared, prepared to let it all go if that was what happened. And this was the thing that kind of got me through to the other side. That I got, I got to the point where this is just before Christmas, about a week or so after I went in with my father. And I, this time was a different person at the back who helped me start the bike. And I, I realised I just had to go for it. And I remember I, I, I got it started, I had to turn and went down Ligon Street, and it, I'm struggling, but I'm just going, and then I had to hop on the three-way. And on the three-way, it, it goes from 60, 70, I'm now up to 100k an hour. And that whole, it's about a, to get to Springdale Road from the city, it was about a 15, 20 minute stretch, maybe 15 where I felt like I could have crashed at any time. The, and to experienced riders, and now I'm a lot better, but for, some, for someone who's just learning, I felt like I could have easily crashed. I felt like what often people feel in cars when the wind's really strong and you feel like you're being blown over, but you've got four doors around you in a car. But I'm on a bike, and I felt like I was struggling to hold the bike on. I'm going 80, 90, 100k an hour. Um, and this is the thing, though, that I just keep trusting and, and letting go. I got home, and it was one of the biggest reliefs I got. But this is the thing about fear. If you're willing to let everything go, even the idea that you have to always be in survival mode, if you're willing to move beyond survival mode, that, that fear too dissolves. The idea that if you're willing to actually face death, once you overcome death, attachment to identity, awakening, life becomes so much more enriching and you see the old stories of what they are, that they're not really, they're just stories. And when you're willing to get up the story, it doesn't have to be your story anymore. Thank you so much for really listening to this. Hope it really connected with you in some way. But yeah, if I can 
say anything as an afterthought. Don't be afraid of facing your fears. Afraid is just the fear of illusion. And it doesn't have to be real. And this is the idea of transformation. That, Like you're building a house, you do transform a block of land and you're building on something. But in terms of building a different reality, changing your outer reality, having different relationships, you've got to be willing to face the stories that you've actually told yourself. So the real key to transformation is actually facing the fears, the stories that you once told yourself and be willing to let them go. Speak to you again soon.